You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Ezra Furman. Talk about a human that's impossible to encapsulate into words. It feels only like a small thing calling Ezra a musician, but once you hear the music, you immediately know why he's one of the... He's just one of those people that's one of a kind in every sense of the word. You can hear the influence of punk, pop, and even jazz if it is music, but most importantly, you hear a sense of honesty that's a hallmark of Ezra Furman projects. This reached pinnacle level with the release of Ezra's latest album, Transangelic Exodus. And on this episode, we go deep into the experiences Ezra had in making the album and as to why his band is so special. And I'm really glad I got to ask him about this. Um, I got to spend time with Ezra and his band um, two years ago, right before they played a show at Barry Barroom. And yeah, that still remains to be a very memorable experience for me. And yeah, can't wait for you to hear this talk. So let's just jump right into it. This is the 405 Exchange of Ezra Furman. Enjoy. So Ezra, it's great to be talking to you again. Um, you just wrapped up a string of shows, and I know you have more shows to go. So one of the things that the first thing I really wanted to ask you was, how have you been finding these most recent shows, especially since you've been touring for most of this year? Yeah, I have been touring a lot this year. Um, well, I kind of, for one thing, without sounding too cocky about it, I think my band this just gets better every time we 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 tour. Um, and um, I, I mean, since since we made this new record and these new songs and arrangements together up and it it's it's been wonderful it's been wonderful to be in this band uh we're everyone is uh everyone in the band is sort of hitting a new peak i feel like as a creative person uh, on this record and, and on stage um like everyone's kind of peaking at once. I don't know if it's peaking. Maybe we're just going. We'll get better next time too. Um, but it's a thrill. It's just a thrill to like play with great musicians who are. I don't know. I'm pushing them. They're pushing me musically to like do better and be more original. It's more exciting. I, I love that part of it. Yeah. Um, that, and yeah oh i was just gonna say that must be such like a trippy thing to recognize like um in real time because usually it takes like such a lot of hindsight but it's a beautiful thing that you can recognize the growth while you're living it well i'm a very egotistical person <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh so that that's a pleasure i mean um there is like this, the music, um, these songs more than before are um, engaged with uh, the, with human suffering um, and human suffering that you hear about on the news um, and stuff like that. And uh, it makes the the shows they are less escapist, and they are uh, they are protest. We're doing protest music, um, and also sometimes some of some of what we do in our shows is like LJ is like very mournful very actually very in pain like I, i'm i'm performing from a place of uh pain and fear uh often lately and 
on this on this last little run of uh, whatever it was, I guess we had seven or eight shows. It was a really hard time in terms of what um, what news we were hearing. I mean, I was in pain from the start because we we started those shows right after uh, the president kind of had this new memo trying to uh, redefine sex and gender uh, to the great disadvantage of um, transgender people. So I was like in mourning and 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 then uh, we were in Toronto when the, the shooting in Pittsburgh happened. Um, so that's, that's another community of mine, the Jewish community under assault and and for the reason of of for the stated reason of like jews defend refugees and i'm like singing about being trans i'm singing about being jewish singing about refugees um or like having no place to go uh and some of those these shows were like i almost didn't make it through the the show you know um so uh, I, I don't know. It, it was very painful, and sometimes it felt right and cathartic, and or helpful for for people in the audience who kind of needed some needed to engage with these feelings. And then sometimes it just felt like I don't feel like singing. This is really hard. Wow. That's a beautiful. I mean. Like, when you put everything the way you just did, especially, like, just how the last few months have been, I mean, because you're, like, you just highlighted something so interesting to me, the fact that it's attacks from, like, multiple sides in regards to identity and communities that you're part of, and, like, in that regard, knowing that, like you just said, the shows haven't been a form of escapism, has it been surprising to you how willing the crowds have been in regards to engaging with that? Like, cause that's a very beautiful thing to be a part of, I'd imagine. Yeah, it's very special. I mean, to talk to some people afterwards who really felt it and say stuff to me like, I needed this this week. This was, um, I mean, what I've been saying sometimes from the stages that like, I mean, I've, I've just always thought this. You can, you can kind of um, be in pain and celebrating at the same time. You can do it in the same act. I mean, I just, I think uh, people feel a lot of different stuff at once, and they can take in a lot um, on the same night. And I've like been working on performances going from pain to protest to joy and then uh it 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 hit me a long time ago probably when i was a teenager that you can be really angry and really happy at the same time um i think it was listening to my my uh punk rock heroes that made me understand that like sometimes being um, in a posture of insurrection or fury just feels good and like feels like a celebration even though you're furious like it's just um, yeah yeah it is it is satisfying to to feel um, the appropriate, emotions to a moment you know yeah. i think it's better it's better than uh listening to some happy music when you feel sad i think it's kind of better to find the stuff that makes you feel the sadness or feel the anger i love that and that can become its own kind of celebration yeah you know, I, I do want to ask you about um, this beautiful album that you made and some songs. But before I do, I just want to ask a bit mm. about um, a crowd, a very specific crowd. Because I saw on your Instagram that 
you got to play uh, Brixton Academy, and I saw the post that you wrote about like you know what it meant to you. Uh, congratulations on that, by the way. And I, I just want to know, like, because knowing what that venue is and what a city like London is, I can only imagine it must have felt so engaging and cathartic playing a show like that. Um, can you talk to me about what that show was like? Well, yeah, that um, at some point, uh, like in 2014, people started, or maybe late in 2013, people started to notice this in in England, and we were like, well, they don't really give a damn about us in the the USA, so let's just go over there, and go over there um, often, and. We went like, yeah, we were going like twice a year or something. No, three times in 2014, actually, and maybe more than that in other years. And uh, you know, we when we first decided to go, um, I had been there a little bit, but barely. Um, we were we we like sold out this tiny venue, tiny bar, and it was like full of people. And it was like, you know, it's like a hundred people or something. Um, and just from there, four years later, we were playing at Brixton Academy, which holds um, 5,000 people. Uh, and it wasn't sold out by any means, uh, but it didn't feel empty or anything. And like, uh, the engaging, I don't know, like the UK taking us like under the UK like kind of falling for our band was a, just a wonderful experience kind of kind of kept me from quitting music when at a time when I was really discouraged um, at how things were going in the states and then that one that just felt like a culmination um, of all these trips over and how it just kept growing yeah. um yeah, it was a special show too because I I did some things I never did before, like have three different microphones at different parts of the stage and have no uh, cord on my guitar. You know, I went cordless, got like a little wireless pack that you attach to the guitar, and um, we had a spotlight operator and stuff. It was, it was we did some dramatic <laughs> and lovely things. That's awesome, though. That. That must have made the show feel so interesting for you, like the fact that, uh, I mean, because I imagine within itself, even though you're moving around easier with a, you know, a cordless guitar, it must also feel kind of challenging, no? Yeah, it was a little different. I, 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 uh, I mean, just to be, hmm. I, I know how to move around stage. I have like studied it over the years and done. I mean, I've been before. I've been performing with a band since uh, since I was nineteen. So that's uh, that's like thirteen years, twelve years, um, oh. and uh, I don't. I like. It's. I feel more confidence actually on larger stages. Oddly, I, I feel a little less intimidated. Really. For some reason. Well, it's especially when there's few people at a show that I'm like. I feel like uh, I can see. <laughs> I don't know. I can. I get a little more intimidated by individuals that I can than uh, than a crowd. I kind of I know how to speak to a crowd. I I don't always know how to speak to a person that I've never met. I know what you mean because there's there is a bit of a difference, especially if you're like in a club or like a smaller venue, because the separation between performer and the crowd is so much more like. Thin. And just the, the element of the fact that you have people's eyes so close to you. I mean, I imagine that makes you very conscious of the space, I'd imagine. Yeah, and, and 
each person also has more power when there's fewer people there. I mean, I, I remember playing in a bar in Boston when there's a baseball game on TV and there's hardly anyone there and there's some people just watching the game and there's one of them just yells at me, like, shut up, stop making noise, stop playing, stop singing. <laughs> How long ago is this? Uh, this was probably, well, it was 10 years ago, probably. Um oh. But, <laughs> I don't know. Stuff like that, uh, it's not so It's not so uncommon. No, that's a good point. Um, you know, when I knew I was getting the chance to talk to you, I was really excited because um, Transangelic Exodus has been one of those albums that I've revisited a lot throughout the year. It's one of those albums I feel that I hear something new each time, and it feels like that approach you had was that anything could go in terms of instrumentation. Was... Was this a very liberating album for you to make in a creative sense, like creatively speaking? Oh yeah. Um, um, yeah, we. Uh, my goal was for um, was to never was not to follow our instincts. <laughs> which is kind of um, funny or like actually to f maybe it's better said uh, this way I wanted us to find our best instinct not our first instinct um, you you, I write a song I'm like yeah I know what I play and then like you bring it to the band and they're like yeah I could do this and you just have your first idea and it's like yeah that's pretty good um, and then we would do that and then and then kind of start and be like well what could we do that is five times as good as that that's interesting um, um, and instead of just like everybody banging along doing their thing like just you just I don't know, play the bass because you're the bass player. Uh, figure out like what would actually be the most compelling thing and what doesn't matter. Um, and it, yeah, you can maybe hear that because like, although there is a lot of instrumentation, but at any one given moment, there's not a bunch of things making noise. You can usually hear the instrument that is playing. Uh, and I, that was musically important to us in making it, um, I don't know, because it's like, if there's a cello, let's hear the cello, you know, why do you, you don't need to like pad it with a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, like essentially having an element of, uh, intentionality with it, that like everything that's being put in should be heard, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and like, and and be uh, yes, that's you said it better. <laughs> um, um, yeah, and we also we just took much longer doing this than any any previous thing we have made really. Um, so we had months. We had months that we were redoing songs and like just uh yeah trying to maximize impact on all of it and also i was writing and, and rewriting and changing things and uh uh taking a lot of taking a lot of stuff out taking songs off that um i don't know I, I, I wanted the finished thing to be like this uh, this world that you can uh, live in. Um, in, a, in a way like a uh, like a novel. I, I was thinking about it as like I would like this to have the kind of sustained impact and sort of extended, like, you spend some time here kind of effect as 
as some of my favorite novels. I feel like um, you've achieved that. What's that? I feel like you achieved that on the album in the sense that, like, if I'm using utilizing the the motif of what a like of a novel, I feel like the album does a good job mm-hmm. where the tracks feel like individual chapters that are isolated yet they do correlate into one another especially with how the track listing flows like there's so much um intention and so much cohesiveness yet everything does feel distinctly individual at the same time and that reminds me of a novel in a way and just Mm. kind of you bringing that up yeah i mean but what i was what i struggled with also was like i almost made it like a story that's what I was thinking about, and I was writing to to kind of turn it into a uh, like a rock opera with a with a beginning and middle and end, and then like that's a lot of what I decided against. Like I think that it's not a story, but it's a situation and it's characters, and it's like it's um, it's like a world where <laughs> stuff happens. Um, but also, I I'd like to think that like uh, the songs, each song stands alone as a as a song, and you don't need to really know what's going on or anything like that. There's there's nothing. Uh, each song ex- explains itself enough, yeah. and leaves uh, some some mystery, some room for the mind to complete the gaps. Yeah, that's a good way of putting that. And I would greatly agree with that. And, um, you know, just hearing you say that makes me think of, like, a track like No Place. Because to me, that's almost like a a quintessential, like, Ezra Furman song in regards to tonality. Because that song stuck out to me a lot in terms of um, how there's, like, a sinister vibe to it. But there's still, like, this playful quality to it. And, And also a lot of soul. That's a big thing I want to talk to you about in regards to the album. Like how you integrate a lot of sofa elements. I think this track is like a good example. Can you go into how this one came together? Um, yeah, well, I mean, writing it, I was, I was listening to, I was inspired by this Talking Heads tune, uh, Life During Wartime, uh, which it has a really driving thing in this, and a sense of um, panic, like public panic. It's like, it's like, it suggests a a war. I mean, that's a, that's why it's called life during wartime, I guess. Um, and uh, I, I loved the way that song kind of suggested this whole situation without actually explaining a story, telling the actual conditions. It's like. No, this is just what someone would be saying if they were in the situation and didn't really have to explain um, why. Because um, so anyway, that was that was an inspiration in writing it. It started it. Uh, I don't know. So it was a very different kind of song. But then we found this. Yeah, we found this way to play it with like. Kind of just going nuts on the toms on the on the drums um and this one was actually a, a thing where uh we had this rented uh it, just me and the drummer me and sam sam durkies the drummer got together and we did just some four track demos of a few songs just to see what um i don't know see to explore possibilities and not make a finished version for the album, but we kept the drums from this from this one take, uh, and those those ended up on the final record, as did some other things from that oh. that meeting with the four track. Um, oh. Yeah, and then and then there's that like horn part, which is actually actually a bugle. It's this old rusty bugle that, um, <laughs> for some reason, Tim had in his studio. Uh, Tim is is in the, in our band and also produced and recorded the whole record. He has his own studio that he built, and 
I don't know. We we were like we we need some kind of like uh, call to arms. Like um, we were trying different like keyboard sounds, and it sounded too. I don't know. It sounded like Lord of the Rings soundtrack or something that was a little cheesy. <laughs> and then he just kind of had a bugle laying around. He's like, I don't know. I think this might be like the uh, the warlike instrument that is needed. <laughs> And then we messed with it, you know, we, we like put weird uh, shifted moments into the into the bugle take. But um. what, what I love about that story, though, is like that the spirit of that about just picking up a random bugle lying around and just kind of like trying different things. That is so much at the core of the album. It's like so prevalent throughout all the trucks. There's a spirit of discovery about about these because like yeah like i said like we thought we knew i thought i knew what the songs were um and as we played them and in each of the five of us like sort of like i said like being sort of on a roll creatively like everybody had ideas about everything that transformed it into something totally different than what we started with um that song come here get away from me was supposed to be sort of like a cowboy fast-paced uh acoustic i don't know what like a like western sounding song or something um and it turned into this like heavy like hip-hop blues thing <laughs> <laughs> like Something that struck me when I was listening to the album, and it, it was very, this is very much something I wanted to ask you right when I like finished listening to it. Like, would you say in the process of making this, you found yourself falling back in love with music? Because there is like obviously there's a subject matter that's very close to your heart, and you know the lyrical element that's very tied to experiences. But even though there is that, there is that element of joy and discovery, and I wonder if like you find yourself feeling reconnected to music with making this. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I needed a, a fresh start. Um, there was, there was something about what our band, uh, we were like in danger of becoming this throwbacky, uh, sort of, I don't know, tribute to um, the Beatles meets the uh, meets a punk band or something, which is that, like, saying that now, that sounds like what I always dreamed of creating. <laughs> and, but, but we had, like, so, I feel like we really did that. We really did that to the hilt. Um, for years, for for several years, you know, and uh, it was like th that 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 came from following my first instincts, you know, um, making records like Day of the Dog and Perpetual Motion People, which were our previous two, and then that EP we put out and some covers we made. It was like I'm just following my instincts and like. This is what rock and roll is to me. I know, I know what I like. Let's do that. And then this was like, let's like forget what you think you like, and uh, see what you find if you dig around in five people's brains and throw the throw the findings together. Yeah, I love that though, dude. And I think um, a good example of that is on uh, the Great Unknown, uh, which I love, by the way, how it follows No Place. Um, the reason I bring this track up specifically, I really need to hear the story about how those backing vocals came about, as well as your vocals, because your voice is so beautiful and tender on this track. Oh yeah, thank you. Um, I. I was trying to, yeah, actually sing, you know, stop, <laughs> stop, stop screaming for a second and, and singing a melody nicely. 
Um, I, I I wrote the song listening to uh, a bunch of Angel Olsen, who I love. Um, and yeah, I got the craving for melody and uh, and drama in in uh, singing a melody. But you asked about the, the those those backup vocals. Those, <laughs> yeah. Those those yelps. I I, I love those oh, yelps. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, like, it, the song was so pretty and, like, kind of nicely um, constructed that, like, I was like, but this is, like, I mean, you can tell in the lyrics, but I wanted something in the song to reflect the the sense of uh, panic, urgency, like, um just like fucked upness, you know, um, of the situation of, of being like on the run and, uh, in, in a state of fear. Um, and yeah, that, you know, there was a spot, there was a spot right there after every melodic phrase. And I was like, let's just like put in something that sounds fucked up. And I don't know. A lot of times, your musician brain is like, "Oh, we could do something cool with like a uh, with a synthesizer sound," and like, and it's like, "Well, why don't you just like make the sound that that expresses what you are thinking? Uh, <laughs> why don't you just make that sound?" And then you know, that turned out to be the sound. Uh, well, I went in the bat. We, we we brought a microphone into the bathroom to get a nice, echoey sound. I kind of closed the door and stood in the shower and did these little screams. Like, like as a musician, do, when you have experiences like that and you get to hear the finished like song, does it end up leaving you surprised that things like that can work? Because on the track, it works so well, but like you really don't know that until you execute that, don't you? I know it's it, there's a lot of surprise to it, and I and I am. I mean, honestly, I'm really grateful to uh, to Tim who who recorded it and produced it. I mean, to everyone in the band who like had put their mind on these problems, but like Tim especially is like there are no rules. Like you can. Uh, make any sound and we can capture it, you know, or like anything can work. Um, things that you don't think are part of the experience of playing in a band and become part of the experience of, of playing a band, at least when you're making a record. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other similar things. Yeah, we, we had, we were, we were playing uh, on that song from a beach house. You got Jorgen playing a bass guitar with two pencils or pens because he's, <laughs> he's like drumming on the strings with, with pens and uh, Ben was holding the chord changes down or maybe it's only one one chord um, just like just like uh, considering that you can just do anything and, and put it into this computer program and line it up to the track like if that's the way you're doing it uh, use that freedom, you know? Just find any way you can to make this sound that would sound the coolest. Yeah, man. I, re- I hear that. Um, something I never got to ask you, because uh, we spent some time together a couple years back, uh, two years now, when you guys were in town to play Bowery Barham. Um, when I spent time with you guys, I didn't know what to expect, and I had such an amazing time. And one of the things that left me just awestruck is the live show, because... I had loads of friends who saw you in the UK, like you brought up before, and other parts of Europe. But, and I'm sure you've heard this a lot, a lot of people don't know how to put the live show into words. And it is really one of those things that you have to experience. I bring this up because I'd love to hear you go into what informs the live show and how you play off the band. Because 
even though it is your name on the marquee, it very much is such like an involved band show. And that's a really beautiful thing to see. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you think so. Um, yeah. we, we, we put some heart into it, you know, we put some effort into it. When it comes to shows, I think a lot of, I think some of the strength, um, well, my band is, they're, they're just really, they're good musicians. I kind of lean on, they're like, they're going to do the most musical part of it. And I'm going to do the most sort of passionate, uh, part of it. And, and be the voice the, talking to the audience and uh, yeah, kind of be the uh, emotional heart of the whole thing. Well, and I, I mean, I know I, I play a lot of guitar and stuff and, and sing, but I really uh, depend on the band to like, they'll never fail. I can like thrash around a little and get my, um, you know, just kind of be a performer verging on, uh, you know, Iggy Pop style, uh, because the band's gonna hold it down and allow me to be anchored. Um, and then I guess I just, it, I've, I've learned a lot about putting a good set list together and uh, we usually don't play the same show twice and some sometimes sometimes if like we're constrained in some way we uh, we will but usually I kind of like find a way to change it for the night and uh, make sure there's sort of an emotional arc to the to the evening um, and people are invited in emotionally to uh, to go on a little journey with us I mean I I'm uh, I have the dubious uh, skill or a dubious inclination of being a people pleaser by nature. And like, I want everybody to like it and know that they're welcomed. Uh, there are, there are other performers who are like, so in it, they're just so in the music and they're almost, it's like, they don't even, uh, the audience could almost not be there. And uh, that's a different way. I respect that. I mean, that really that really works for some people. For me, I'm like, I need to talk to everybody and couch the experience in words and give it a uh, an arc socially, like 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 writing a speech would would have. You know, if you were speaking in public, you have to be careful to order it correctly and make sure everyone is following you yeah that's a really succinct way of putting that I, I and i've felt like that's definitely what you achieve with your live shows um you know speaking of your band can you talk to me a bit about your bandmates because they really are some very talented and interesting people and i feel like people don't get to ask you enough about them so yeah would you just take a moment to kind of talk about your band Absolutely. Um, well, why don't I introduce them to you in the order that I met them? Um, Sounds good. I, I first of all, I met Jorgen. His name is Jorgen Jorgensen, and he plays bass in the band, and he often plays cello as well. Um. Um. He's from he's from Des Moines, Iowa, and lives there. And 
he lives there again now, and I met him. I had this other band, Ezra Furman and the Harpoons. That was my first band. We, our, our guitar player left the band around when we graduated from college. We were, we sort of needed a, a guitar player and somehow we we encountered Jorgen like through a friend or somebody recommended him. He was living in New York. We had just moved to New York. Um, he he is a soulful person. I will say that. Uh, he 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 grew up like on on jazz. His parents are like jazz lovers of jazz, and and he and and classical music too. He like knows music in this like not amateur kind of way. Um, and he's just shown me a million records that I, that I would have never heard of obscure stuff. He's like a he's got deep knowledge of music basically. Um, <laughs> oh, I I could like talk talk your ear off about each one of my my dear my dear visions. But anyway, yeah, he joined my old band for like a month and then um, basically when that band broke up a few years later I hadn't seen him in a few years and I just called him up and asked him if he would uh, come on tour with me um, then I think next I met Tim Tim who I moved in with uh, I lived with him in 2010 2011 and he was he's from Chicago he, he has been in bands such as well, he had this band called Outro Sparks that was really wild and ambitious and cool. And uh, he had built this studio on the in the attic of the house I moved into with him. And he was like making records up there, and I was like, one of these days I'm going to go up to the attic and and make some recordings. And eventually I did that, and that became my first solo album after the harpoons broke up. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, he, he plays saxophone and, and percussion and all, and some guitar, just all kinds of, he's a multi-instrumentalist and he records and produces all our records and it's kind of a, a mad, uh, genius. Um, and, knows knows his way around recording very uh oh um moving on oh ben joseph who plays keyboards and guitar uh he's from san mateo california he lives in chicago he is a songwriter in his own right he he has a band that he formed a couple years ago, who I really recommend, called Secret Bad Boy. Um, That's a great band name. <laughs> Secret Bad Boy. And, uh, yeah, check him out. And, uh, yeah, he... he I, I, I met him when making that same solo record with Tim and um, kind of needed somebody to uh, play some piano um and i the, the guy i got was like okay you shouldn't use me because you want somebody who can play better than i can here's a guy who can who can play you know um and uh it's true uh, <laughs> he, he can he, he's one of the finest musicians i know privilege to work with him he also understands like i mean he's a songwriter so like he knows what makes a song work you know and, like uh i don't know i'm i'm really i feel like it's necessary to have another songwriter in your band uh because songwriters 
can see things about songs that not everyone can always see. Uh, and yeah, lastly, Sam Durkee's um, drums and percussion, uh, who, I mean, in a way, like he's the most similar to me. So he went to my same high school. I didn't know him there. My sister knew him. Basically, I was forming a new band, and um, I had just heard uh, local Chicago area band, The Canoes, and Sam was the drummer. And I was like, I'm stealing that drummer. Um, and I poached him from The Canoes, who are a great band. Um, and... Yeah, Sam. Sam is kind of the uh, the in a way he he leads the band socially. He like he kind of brings everybody together. He's uh, really funny. He's really into punk rock. He's been in punk bands and like bluegrass bands. Um, so he's good with like a set of spoons, you know. Sure. Um, as well as a punk rock drum kit and. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he really he he looks after the the punk the beating punk heart of our band because uh, you know the other band the other band members are all uh, they're into jazz and they're they they like like prog rock and stuff. I mean, Sam does too, uh, but like me and Sam are like we are punks, uh, <laughs> and we got to keep that part alive and let's not get too fancy with these jazzy chords and whatnot. It's, it's anyway, it, it, I, you can, you can tell from me just how much I want to go on about them that, yeah, nobody asks me about my bandmates and I'm really glad you did. No, of course. And uh, I mean, cause I mean, for me as like a music fan and just as a person, I find just the, just the makeup of a band interesting as well as like the function and like the fact that you have to come together trade ideas but also kind of like function like a gang like be there for each other and trust each other and hold each other up yeah. it's such a beautiful yes. thing yes it is such a small typically a band is a very small group of people and they spend so much time together it's like insane amounts of just time in vehicles and in backstage areas and just all day every day on tour um like every day in the studio and you become like a like a like an immediate family you know um it that is that's how it feels like we we fight about stuff but like it's like we are it feels like a family, you know? What can I say? A lot yeah. of love. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, you know, before I let you go here, so I just want to ask you one more thing. And, you know, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. I'm really glad we got to catch up, and especially that you got to share so much with me. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've had, I've had some coffee, you know? <laughs> Coffee's good. I can, yeah, I can just ramble for a while when I'm caffeinated. <laughs> Yeah, the next question I have for you is a little bit bold, but, you know, it hit me with being at your shows and seeing how people react to them, and especially with the way people have been reacting to this album. I don't think I've ever had the chance to ask a musician this, but I feel like it's very uh, succinct and relevant in regards to your music and you as a person. But when it comes to your music and the way people respond to it, do you feel that you're being heard? Like do you feel like you have that feeling currently or have experienced that where with your art being so tied to who you are, do you feel heard? Like, do you feel even somewhat understood as a person? Mm. It's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I, What people see of me 
is what I give them. You know, it's it is um, pretty intentional. I, I realized more and more over the years I've been performing and and making records that like oh like I can put things in that are true about me if uh, if that helps um, people often say that my music is very confessional and kind of self-revealing and it I always think like yes that's true but only when that helps me do what I want to do in terms of crafting an experience for the listener. Like, I will use my personal life as an ingredient if it's the right ingredient. Um, but I also do um, total fiction. And a lot of stuff that sounds like it's real and from my life is not really. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm not really just pouring my heart out. I'm like trying to make you as a listener experience a specific thing and I will use whatever tools I can find for that. Um, but what I, yeah, but yeah, what I want these things to be shows a lot about me, you know? Um, and there's a lot of sincerity. And I can tell it's a good feeling that people get it the way that I want them to get it. But to me, that's just like I succeeded as a artist and sometimes as a trickster. <laughs> um yeah yeah you know you, you you don't you don't actually know somebody so you know them um yeah. I, I guess is what i'd say about that and i do meet people who who think they know me act like they know me and they uh they don't <laughs> <laughs> but you know what what you said reminded me a lot of um the last track on David Bowie's Black Star album, um, I Can't Give Everything Away, because an element to that song that I find so beautiful, and I really recommend anyone to check that song out if they haven't heard it, is that there is this kind of like interesting, deliberate internal conflict of an artist where you do want to reveal and share so much, but just by virtue of you having to reconcile with your own experiences and you as a person, you can't give everything of yourself to people out there at least in terms of as a performer as a artist that gets written about there still has to be some tangible basis for your own self in a lot of ways yes um i mean like it's a, like it's impossible to i mean you, your your self-presentation even if what you are presenting is yourself is uh very mitigated and distorted by the context the amplifier you're using you know amplifiers distort um and when you get on stage you're using an amplifier when you put your picture on a record uh you're distorting your <laughs> you're distorting the image uh that you're projecting and it's, there's nothing wrong with it I, uh, I prefer, I prefer some distortion. <laughs> but tell me this, like, cause you, you missed out a little, uh, thing in regards to my original question, uh, the element of being heard. I mean, that's such a broad word, word in itself. But yeah. Do you feel heard in a sense as an artist? Yeah, I wasn't, I'm not sure I, I know what you mean. I mean heard i mean yeah i think that there are a, a lot of people and i and i and i talk to them who get 
out of the music exactly what I hoped they would. Um, which is, well, which is various things, but, um, I, I, what I want people to hear and see in me is sort of like a, an example of how to, um, be like a glowing, um, sort of like glow with realness, you know, that's what I'm looking for when I, uh, when I get, like, get into artists and I, I want to know where the artist is coming from. It's because like, I love to see someone who is just glowing with, uh, themselfness, you know, with, the just, just glowing in a dark time, you know, lighting up darkness and all times that are dark. Yeah, Yeah, I get that. I guess what I mean in regards to Herd is that knowing that you're putting experiences out there that people might not be able to relate to or not even um, imagine, I guess when I say Herd, I guess the element of people being able to come to you after shows and telling you that, wow, you've really showed me a different side of life or like a different uh, way that the world could be experienced. I I guess when I think about Herd... Uh-huh. In that sense, I imagine, like, that, I, like, I, I guess I'm just guessing, but I imagine you've had those experiences, right? Especially with this album. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some people who, who say, I can tell I'm, I'm like, sort of a sometimes shifting, uh, shifting what, is allowed to exist in someone's cultural experience. Yeah. Um, maybe there there are people who have not encountered like a transgender person or a, or a visibly queer person, kind of like I don't know, being cool and uh, doing cool stuff and being in a band, being at the front of a room, commanding everyone's attention. Um, and that's like that is always a useful thing for um, people to see. Uh, at the same time, yeah, I also get um, people reacting negatively. I was on some, I was on a widely watched British TV show, and a lot of people were commenting online, just like this guy's got issues and why is he wearing a dress? This is horrible. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, uh, can't, can't worry too much about those folks. I mean, I already knew. (laughs) I already knew they were out there. I already knew. Yeah. Um, that's how some people react to queer people. Um, yeah, heard <laughs> <laughs> no i mean what do you consider just a wider it is such a broad word to use because yeah it's it, it is one of those things where it's very much the discretion of like and that's kind of i guess what made me think about asking you about it because I, I i guess i found myself curious knowing what your music's about knowing what you're about in regards to your art it makes me curious what it would feel like to be heard but that could go into such so many different avenues that's like probably a whole different hour in itself of a conversation yeah everybody hears different things hears in a different way yeah um you know we we do have to wrap up but before i let you go i kind of want to sneakily ask you a question that's quite geeky and really just selfish for me but Earlier this year, you were on uh, the Mark Marin podcast, and I've been a fan of his for years. I just wanted to ask, what was that like? Because that must have been pretty cool. Oh, um, I, I actually, I've been a fan of his for years, too. Um, you know, I was, I was intimidated, I guess. Um, and then, like, he seemed a little intimidated, too. I think we sort of made each other nervous or something. <laughs> um... um uh, but he, he was 
uh, really nice to me. I don't know. I haven't listened to the interview because I started to listen to it and I was like, I can't do this. I'm, I'm too self-conscious. No way. To, to, yeah, so I still don't know <laughs> where it went, really. Um, and also, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, I wonder. I'd rather listen to somebody else talk besides listen to myself talk, um, despite what the length of this conversation might suggest about <laughs> my own voice. Well, I mean, I think that's just a testament that you have um, your priorities set straight, then. <laughs> then the fact that you don't want to really hear yourself talk. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I love to talk, but I don't like to listen to myself. Yeah. Well, that's a, there, I, we're not going to find a more beautiful note to end the talk than on that. And Ezra, thanks so much for chatting me. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for your question. Thanks for having me. Can trust him. We don't use.